0: Mean Old Lion Media presents Corner Table Talk well, welcome everyone to Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson. Here we explore subjects related to food, drink, and culture. I moved to Los Angeles from New York City in 1989. My plan was to open something in hospitality. That led to Roxbury. For those of you who were too young or not familiar, it was a three-level blues lounge restaurant and dance club in the heart of West Hollywood, just below the famous Chateau Marmont on Sunset Strip. Pre-opening, the place was shaping up well and the buzz was building, but we needed a DJ for the dance club, but not just any DJ, one who could blend East and West Coast music and keep the dance floor moving. And for me, there was only one person that uh, that could do that, and that was Matt Robinson. I'd read about Matt, uh, I think in People magazine, and then realized that our dads knew one another Matt's dad was an accomplished actor, writer, and producer on Sesame Street, The Cosby Show, and one of my all time favorites, Captain kangaroo.'m aging myself here but i 'm not I'm not ashamed. Um, So I reached out to Matt and he agreed to help launch Roxbury. He took over the turntables and proceeded to rock the house in a style that was purely his own, mixing hip hop with Pink Floyd and Roy Ayers and packing the dance floor on a nightly basis. I soon got to know the Robinson family, which included Mom Dolores, a powerhouse talent manager and beautiful Sister Holly, or as we would say back in the day, fine as hell, uh, Sister Holly. (laughs) of the hit TV show 21 Jump Street. Eventually, the beautiful actress married the handsome star quarterback and Holly Robinson became Holly Robinson Pete, wife of Rodney Pete, and together became parents of four and a prolific power couple. Their annual summer evening Holly Rod events that raise money and bring awareness to autism and Parkinson's, a couple of causes very near to both of them, attracts stars from across the spectrum and is one of the most fun and worthwhile nights of the summer. Holly is a tireless spokesperson, the Hollyrod Foundation founded in 1997 in honor of Holly's father provides help and hope to those living with autism and Parkinson's. A multi-talented artist, actress, singer. I didn't know about the singer part. That was new to me. Host and author, her book, My Brother Charlie, won her an NAACP Image Award for outstanding literary work. And Holly is no slouch. Holly graduated from Sarah Lawrence College with a degree in psychology and French. She is a beloved daughter, sister, mom, and wife. Holly and Rod just returned from a dream vacation, and she looks fantastic. We're going to hear a little bit about that. Holly Robinson, Pete, so great to have you here at Corner Table Talk. Welcome.
1: Welcome to YouTube too. into my life. I love listening to this story. <laughs> you know, you learn a lot when you hear people talk about you, and you, you just sort of remember things. I I am so glad to talk to you, Brad. It's, it's been too long, and I'm, this is an awesome way to get caught up.
0: Yeah, it really is. And it's just so great to just see your face. It just brings up so much for me. And um, I'm so fond of you and your family. So we start things off here, Holly, with what I call short order questions just uh, to get our conversation rolling. So I'll, I'll fire a few off at you and get your reaction. So what are you listening to or reading these days?
1: Wow. I am listening to a uh, uh, a lot of things. I always listen to old school music. I was raised on, you know, so many uh, amazing artists, R and B artists, in, in Philadelphia growing up. Um, I have a very eclectic music taste. My father raised me on Louis Jordan and, and, uh, you know, Ray Charles and a lot of blues. And so I'm always listening to a lot of things. I do have a couple mixes, you know, and playlists that I put on just to really lift my spirits. And I always seem to gravitate to sort of women in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, um, singers like the Tina Marie's
0: mm-hmm. Shaka Anthony, Minnie
1: Shaka Minnie Phyllis Hyman mm. um you know even there's some sister sledge songs that really get me going. So and as you know you you mentioned my brother being a DJ and we just were grew we just grew up around so much music. We used to You know, some kids would play, you know, Cops and Robbers. We used to play Jackson 5 and Sly and the Family Stone. (laughs) So growing up in Philly, it was just such a rich cultural time. So it's so hard to answer that question. I know it was supposed to be a short order question, but it's so hard. But I would say today, I try to keep up with my kids, Brad. Mm. So they're 23, 23, 18 and 16. And Rodney and I both try to keep up with them. Rodney will listen to some of the, like, the... More hardcore stuff, trying to be the old player in the club. (laughs) And I will listen to more like the Janae Aiko and more of the, you know, her, more of these artists that are sort of kind of have a neo soul energy. That Mm -hmm. speaks to me. So I'm listening to a lot of of Janae Aiko Mm -hmm. and I'm reading biographies, as many as I can gobble up. On vacation recently, I finally finished the Michelle Obama one, which I've been trying to, to read for a while. And uh, I also love uh, listening to audiobooks now. And Trevor Noah's audiobook is
0: number one on my list. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good one. I'm going to have to check that out.
1: That was a long order. No, nah, Anto- it's all right.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ding, time's up. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so tell me, Holly, a perfect weekend breakfast at your place.
1: Oh, I love pancakes. Um, I, I need those edges crispy. Which usually involves butter and high heat. I need. I, I I really have given up a lot of pork and stuff, but I do love some sausage. We used to eat scrapple back in Philadelphia. I never knew what it was made of. I don't know. I still don't to this day.
0: I don't think anybody does.
1: It's some kind of sausage patty <laughs> thing, and it was good. All I know is mm-hmm. good. So pancakes, scrapple, um, maybe some shrimp and grits.
0: I like that. Yeah, I made, um, I, I do shrimping, I do grits and eggs and biscuits on Sunday. And I tried oh. veggie, I've been trying veggie sausage lately just to try to get that little mapley sausage flavor in there. It's not quite the same, but a lot less guilt.
1: Yes, but I'm telling you, some of these um, alternative meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, products are pretty good. I've been eating a lot of Beyond Meat and the sausages, like the breakfast sausages are really good. So once you, you know, got your maple syrup on your pancakes and you, you roll that in <laughs> like I, I can I can do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's pork adjacent.
1: right?
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Holly. So tell me the best live musical performance that you've ever seen.
1: Well, I have to go to my very first one, which was Jackson 5 at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, because you never forget your first concert. Seeing your idols perform in front of you for the very first time is a revelation. And that was for me. Um, But one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen live has got to be Jill Scott and Erykah Badu. Mm -hmm. They were on the stage at, at Essence Fest one year. And it was unbelievable. I wasn't prepared for their set. And the Roots were playing with them, too. And it was a trio that I didn't know I needed in my life. And I hope that they, I don't think they have an album together, but I wish they would have recorded that one live.
0: Yeah, that that sounds phenomenal. Oh. Um, all right. So tell me, a quality that you most value in a friend.
1: Oh, loyalty. Loyalty mm-hmm. is so important. You know, um, being a vault I can talk to you about anything and not worry about you taking it someplace else and it being a whisper down the lane situation. That is such a blessing to have.
0: Yeah, yeah. My friend used to say a, a, a good friend keeps you off of the Negro news.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do not want to be the top no. story on that news. No, not, not on that network.
0: <laughs> um Best piece of advice you've been given?
1: Um, I would say the first thing that comes to my mind, it would be advice from my mother, which was um, always be good to the crew. And I mean, in terms of a career advice and the crew will be good to you. It was is what she would tell me before any project. If you treat them well, the people that get there before you that leave after you and make a whole lot less money than you. Um, you will, they take that, you talk about, you know, whisper down the lane, they take your, their experience with you to their next job and Oh, who'd you, what would you just work on? Oh, I worked with Holly Robson. Oh, how was she? You know, that's how this goes. And so when I walk onto a set, I speak to the crew, I speak to the background actors and that's because my mom has always told me to, to, to walk on those sets and, um, and give them the love and respect. Um, and they will return that and you'll get it in ways down the line in your career, and I do think that that's paid off for me.
0: That's that Dolores Robinson coaching, man. You you know, that's that's invaluable stuff right there. Yeah.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Most memorable Hollyrod Foundation event. And I have to tell you, the, oh. one of the one of the last ones that well, several years ago, actually going back now, because this was before uh, he took office, I saw Trump at one of your events. I know your mom was friendly with him and a lot's changed, you know, since then or we've come know him a little bit differently since then, but I just remember well, seeing him walk through.
1: Yes. Yeah, so okay. Well let's start with the most memorable. That was not okay. it for me. But we have had some iconic moments um with this event design care which we started doing almost 25 years ago so we're, we're about to finally you know we got postponed in 2020 but we're about to do in uh, 2021 but we're about to do uh, our our 24th annual design care in uh 2022. um that said there were there were so many and i remember seeing your smiling face in the audience always coming and supporting us um I mean, Stevie Wonder, how do you, you know, how do you, that was one of the first, you know, he was one of the first people artists that came and donated his services for us. And he came back the next year after Sarita had just passed away. And that was one of the loves of his life. And he still came anyway. So I would say early design cares, the Stevie Wonder sets were legendary. Um, My father had just, you know, passed around that time. And so... It was uh, a really intense time for him and for us as a foundation and he showed up. So that's one. But then the other number one, I say iconic moment was would be when our foundation, Holly Ride, was struggling. Like we didn't think we were gonna be able to stay afloat. and. Muhammad Ali showed up. Now, when the when the greatest of all time shows up at your event and you're struggling and he just opens his mouth and says, I support Holly Rod and support this, that was all we needed. And it propelled us into basically to now. And that was, you know, 20, almost 20 years ago. And so um, people, I mean, people, icons like Stevie and so many others that have showed up, whether it was Jill Scott or or um, Roberto Cavalli, because it's a fashion, you know, portion of this too, or The Time, um, Jeffrey Osborne. So many amazing artists have been there for us. Natalie Cole. Uh, I just, when I go down the list, I can't believe that some of these amazing artists show up. But let me just tell you why Trump was there, because I know you're listening. Is going to be like, okay, why was Trump at design care? <laughs> so, what had happened was. <laughs> I was on Celebrity Apprentice mm-hmm. and on that show in that year, I believe it was 2010 or 2011. I didn't quote unquote win Brett Michaels quote unquote won, but I outraised him two to one. I raised $600,000 for Hollyrod that year. And then at the, you know, during the summertime, we're putting together design care and our board was like, well, we need to honor someone who has been supportive of Hollyrod. And, you know, what do y'all think about honoring Donald Trump? Because he, you know, was, on the show. And he didn't write the check to us. Let's be clear. That was the sponsors in NBC. Mm -hmm. But that was a big amount of money. I mean, that was way more than our annual budget. And uh, it it was a a significant moment. So as a board member, board members voted that we would honor him, but we didn't think he would say yes. And he did. And he showed up. So to this day, I still have people asking me, why was Donald Trump at design care? (laughs) And that's why.
0: Yeah, you know, I, it's funny because I think we all had, uh, those of us who knew I grew up in New York, so I'm used to seeing him in the tabloids way before he became a presidential candidate or started going at Barack and all of that. But we just had a different memory of him back then. And what we've come to know since then is a whole nother podcast, whole nother, you know, episode. So we'll yeah, we we leave was, it there. <laughs> we all,
1: yeah, yeah. He was, he was you know, entrenched in, you know, in, in, in black culture in a way, too. Like yeah. we embraced him in our songs and he was like, you know, the quintessential guy that we, you know, talked about as the rich guy and, and he was self-deprecating. And there was something kind of almost charming, dare I say, about him. And then I don't know what happened after that. But like you said, that's a whole nother podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, too, Holly, I have to say that, you know, going to those those nights, those events that you would have, the highlight, I think, for most of us was you and Rodney together i mean you guys you know it's like you're it, it just such a great act on stage you you're so quick with one another and i'm, I'm sure you must have rehearsed those routines but they seem very spontaneous and no, uh, we
1: did not rehearse did you, you didn't here's the irony <laughs> i couldn't get rodney to do any rehearsal and he he, he 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 likes to just he does not like to improvise so all of that is just very natural um It just happened authentically because, you know, he's a quarterback, so he likes his plays drawn up. Mm-hmm. But he didn't like those audibles. So <laughs> I when I was like, "Let me just like," there's a hot read coming off the corner because you know <laughs> I love football, right? So I was like, "Listen, um, let's just go with it." And he, it would be a pulling teeth, but at the end of the night, like you said, people would be like, "Oh, we love seeing you, Rodney." Just oh yeah, that no, was fantastic. For if anything, it was frustrating for me because backstage we'd be fussing at each other. But it's, <laughs> it, that is that is something that was a lot of fun, and 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 I, I it is it is a highlight. For me as well.
0: No, it was great. And spoken like a true quarterback's wife, you even know what an audible is. So <laughs> I'm giving it up to Holly. With
1: the territory. <laughs> all
0: right. So last one of these, Holly, who past or present would you most like to host at an intimate dinner party?
1: Oh, I would love to sit down with Harriet Tubman. I just have always been fascinated by her my whole life. And as her, you know, as we've heard her story and as we've been able to, uh, you know, really get into um, her life and, and, and honor who she was and her bravery and amazing Trajectory. Um, It just was something that in my lifetime I would. I I always grew up thinking about this woman, and just from a childhood of learning about heroes and our heroes, especially, she was the one that stood out. So, I mean, imagine sitting across from her, you know, asking her questions about what it was like to bring those those slaves, you know, uh, across that railroad, and 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 I mean, with no internet, with no. You know, with no forms of communication, the mm-hmm. bravery. So I think Harry Tumman would be the number one person that I would want to sit down and have a conversation with and and pick her brain. And I imagine she would be a very no nonsense person who would just probably answer my questions in three, four words. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just in my mind. If I imagine me talking to her, but uh, just just a phenomenal person. But also, I've always wanted to sit down with Malcolm X like that. Mm -hmm. He would be another person that I would love to sit down and, and, and talk to and connect with. Uh, but,, um, yeah, I would have to say for sure, Miss Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I mean, talk about inspiration for strength, you know what what she endured. that would be uh, that would be a worthwhile conversation. So let's jump in here and and not to take anything for granted. It's been a crazy, you know, eighteen months, almost couple of years here. but uh, how's everybody? How's the family? your mom, Rodney, the kids? everybody good
1: everybody's good uh, my mom uh, just turned 85 we hadn't seen her for a year went down surprised her that was really cool she lives in Palm Springs uh, my brother Matt's down there now too um, and so they they live near each other kids are great my daughter graduated from NYU during you know class of 2020 so she she felt some kind of way about that that was kind of rough because mm. instead of Yankee Stadium we were in our living room hey wow. Yeah. So it was like, not, not what we look forward to for those four years. Um, and then uh, RJ, her twin brother, his story is just so ins- inspirational because, you know, as you know, he's a young man with autism and who was told when he was three, he would never really do much. And one of the things that he wouldn't do was have meaningful employment. And now he works for the Los Angeles Dodgers and was just presented his world series ring. So I would say that's pretty meaningful. Yeah and, and that story is just so awesome and I I I am I feel so blessed to have R J in my life. I always say I wouldn't change R J for the world, but I would change the world for RJ. Right? Oh, I this boy you. has unlocked something in me beyond what you know, we mamas do some pretty wild stuff for our kids, but well,
0: hold, hold that because I, I want to come back to RJ because I, I that's a that to me is is definitely a subject that I, I want to dive into a little bit with you a little bit more. Um,
1: yeah, but, well, let uh, me wrap up the let me yeah, wrap up the family. Yeah. So then Robinson's eighteen, and mm-hmm. he he over the quarantine or that family time that we had, this boy taught himself Japanese. He found he has always loved it, always been obsessed with anime. And so he would always watch anime with in Japanese with the subtitles on. So he just started I think he has that penchant for languages that 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 I have. So over the the 2020 he found a teacher in Osaka, an online teacher. He's talking to her just like we're talking. And for like 7 8 months, three times a week, he studied Japanese with her. And when I tell you, this boy can speak Japanese so well. So now he just graduated from high school and he wants to do a gap year in Japan if we can figure this COVID thing out. But he's all applied and set up so he wants to go to Japan. I'm very excited about that. Um, and then the then the youngest guy is uh, 16. He, all he cares about is getting his driver's license <laughs> because COVID messed that up for him. Uh, so he's off. You know, you wanted his license the day he turned sixteen. Mm-hmm. And uh so, so that that that's my uh my group. And Rodney's doing great. He does radio every day. It's really been mm-hmm. awesome for him. He's on AM five seventy in LA, does a sports show called Lunchtime with Rogan and Rodney and um he's enjoying that. So, you know, right now is a really positive time for us. I'm feeling, you know, just so happy that the family is in everyone's in a good spot.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, just to stay on that for a minute, because, you know, I've I had, you know, with my son, moments this past year where, you know, he's a musician set up to go out on tour. Everything got canceled. It was a tough time for him. And I had to, you know, help him shift a little bit from feeling like this was only happening to you. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. everybody's going through, right? Did, did you have any of that, Holly? And were you able to like, I mean, your your your, your daughter who was graduating from NYU, yeah. not being able to have like a real graduation. I mean, that could not have been a pleasant thing for her. That's something that she earned and looked forward to. But did you have to shift? if they're thinking at all, or were they naturally just, no, I get it?
1: Oh, no, there was nothing natural about it. You know, Mm -hmm. this was, we didn't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. So we never experienced this as parents. As parents, we're expected to have answers. So when they would come to us and say, well, okay, how long is this gonna last? We didn't know. Okay, am I gonna be able to do this? Is this gonna get canceled? We didn't know. So if there was any silver lining for us, it it taught our kids the, the value of being able to pivot, the value of being able to go with the flow, In the real sense of the word, um, manage disappointment, manage expectations. There were a lot of life lessons that these kids got. And, yes, Rodney and I were just, we didn't know. We were at a loss for words most Mm -hmm. of the time because we were looking at each other like, what do you think? What do you think? So, yeah, there was so much disappointment in managing that with your kids and trying to get them to understand, like you told your son, Mm -hmm. that this is a global issue. This isn't just you and your little narcissistic (laughs) 20-year-old bubble space.
0: Me, me, this me. Is a, this is a
1: global <laughs> moment. And yeah. that collectively, I think, will help them in the future. I mean, obviously, we wish mm-hmm. it, none of this happened and all the people, could, we could have them back. But if you had to find a silver lining, I think from from a parent. Parental point of view, um, learning to pivot and learning to, you know, things don't always work out the way you Mm -hmm. think they're going to work out is a valuable lesson to have for these young people.
0: No, I I couldn't agree more. So um, I got so much I want to dive into with you. But before I do, I have to hear about this dream vacation because I saw photos, I saw pictures, I saw places, things, and people. And so tell me, Holly. How did this trip come about? Give us a taste of some of the places that you went and what you saw.
1: Okay, so. This summer vacation for us started happening in 2013 when Magic Johnson, who's was a longtime friend of all of ours, but he knew Rodney before I knew Rodney and me before Rodney knew me. So we go way, way back. His son EJ was the uh, ring bearer in our wedding 26 years ago. We have a very, very long relationship with them. And I, would see, I was at
0: your wedding. Yes.
1: And you were at my wedding. Yes, of course you were. <laughs> and Brad. So, you know, we would always see, you know, Irving come back from these trips, you know, and these yacht trips and stuff in Europe. He was going like 20 years before we, 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 we got a chance to start going. Mm-hmm. And I would always joke with him. Like, when are you going to take us? When are you going to take us? <laughs> um, he said, well, you know, Rodney got to, you know, he has to retire first. Cause we go in July. That's training camp for him. Mm-hmm. So I mean the day Rodney Pete retired urban was my first call. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> trip. and it still was another couple of years before we got invited but essentially he's been going on this trip for 29 years to Europe to the south of France and Italy and he discovered it and he just kept growing it, it started with a small boat and then kept growing it staying longer and longer and now he's on these 280 feet yachts and he's out in the middle of the Mediterranean um, for uh you know four or five weeks it's it's amazing what he's done and obviously this man is phenomenal he has earned every single thing he has ever gotten in his life. We've, we've all seen him and watched what he's gone through. Um, he's just a phenomenal human being. And so I don't know how we got the golden ticket to get on this, but this magic summer is next level. So yeah. I speak French. I speak fluent French. I went, did a year in Paris and, <laughs> and, and, majored in French. So, I mean, anytime I get a chance to be in France, Uh, or Italy uh, is, I'm always feeling like, you know, I'm just in the middle of some kind of dream that I cannot wake up from. Uh, But he takes, magic takes friends out there. Well, the one thing that he wants is for other people to experience and be exposed to things that they might not otherwise have an opportunity to. So for for his 60th birthday and for their 25th anniversary, they bought they brought you know hundreds of people out and paid for everything and put people up. And a lot of people had never been to Europe. A lot of people have never been on these yachts and had experienced this, this, this whole thing. So um, he's so generous. I've just never met anybody like him. This trip in particular was the first time that we went to Greece. And we went on the Ionian seaside, so not the Mykonos, Santorini, not not those Mm -hmm. Athens, not that side, but Mm -hmm. the other side where Mm -hmm. there's smaller, sleepier, more Venetian-influenced islands that are just phenomenal, like right out of some kind of movie. And so we had a great time. We were there three weeks. Um, You know, I I tried not to post so much. I overposted because I just I was just caught up in this moment. And I said, you know what? I want to share with people because I, I felt like I know I live vicariously through some people mm-hmm. on social media and I thought that would be would be fun.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, social media does have a little bit of a double sword that way. Right. Is it yes. you know, is it the look at me lifestyle and how or yeah.
1: are you just sharing? sharing. Are yeah. you oversharing?
0: And I have to tell you, it came off as sharing. It was great to be able to go through that experience vicariously with you. But, you know, I want to ask you, so, you know, you mentioned because the, you know, magic taking folks to places and living that kind of life and and exploring and, and eating in, in restaurants where, you know, he's had relationships with some of those chefs for a long time. But as black folks traveling abroad at that level are you are you less black conscious abroad do you still feel like oh we're a bunch of black folks over here you know how they look or do you feel like a different level of you know like miles davis or or james baldwin acceptance in paris in the 50s you know how does that feel
1: brad that i mean i was not expecting that question and that is an excellent question so from my point of view since i had in the night in the the early 80s, spent a year abroad in Paris by myself. I didn't live with anybody. Um, I was 19 and just, you know, just thrown in there. And so I had already really had that sense of being exposed to so many different people, being raised in Philadelphia, you know, in a pretty utopian environment of every melting pot in Mount Airy outside of Philly. Um, And then we moved to Malibu. okay, and it, it was like all white, like I was the old, me and Flip Wilson's kids were like the old, me and and Matt and Flip Wilson's kids and maybe Junior Walker and the All-Star, his kids, like we were the only black kids in Malibu. So I've always been conscious about being the only black person in the room or the only black voice or the only black person on a board. I've almost become used to it. So I know how to move in those spaces. However, there are times when I'm more conscientious of it than other times. And it's interesting because it's different when you're traveling with Magic Johnson. You know, he's he he's larger than life literally and figuratively so mm-hmm. when we're getting off and going to Tropez or capri or positano like they come running behind him magique, magique. Mm-hmm. you know like the, he's larger than life so they automatically treat you as you're being special because you're with magique, right and then you know we had ll cool j with us and samuel l jackson i mean you know it was a trifecta right and mm-hmm. So we we got that treatment. But it's interesting because when we would walk into some of these stores, I won't name any any brands, but, you know, all them luxury stores and one French brand in particular. But, of course, I won't name it. I would walk in before them just to come. Now, some of these people do know me. 21 Jump Street was big in France, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not, not like these guys. Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. So I walk in. And I see how they treat me. They admit French people are snobby. We already know that. That's part of their DNA. We understand that. But it was this look like you're not going to buy anything. And by the way, they start speaking French and they start talking about me in French, assuming that I don't speak French, which I do. And so I watched how they respond to me. But then when Irvin and them would come in behind me, everything would shift and change. But the fun part was that I knew how to speak French. And once they realized that, the looks on their faces was worth the price of admission. mission. <laughs> right. right? Because I just heard you say that you didn't think I was going to be able to buy anything. And now you're like, oh, she's friends with him. Oh, go help her. Go ask her. Bring out the good bags mm-hmm. for her. So um, I think the answer to your question is I'm always aware of it. And I think especially this year. Just because there's been so much going on, and in the world came together for George Floyd and all these social issues, it wasn't like it was a domestic thing. Like people protested in Europe, in mm-hmm. you know all around the world in Asia for Black Lives Mattering, and uh, so I thought a different ship this trip mm-hmm. that people were going out of their way to let us know that they were. They were riding for us, if you will.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: That was different, not not in a
0: patronizing way, in a sincere way. Or I mean, obviously, the interaction in the store was, you know, that's conditioning. And some people just have that way of thinking. But you just felt generally like people really wanted to express, hey, we saw what happened and, you know, we 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 feel we feel this way.
1: Yeah, I think they just got a new awakening about the black American experience Mm -hmm. and they're processing it differently now. Um, And so where it was in their subconscious, but not like watching those nine minutes of video, that was just, you couldn't deny that. So, So I do feel a certain level of allyship that I didn't feel before going to Europe that I had never felt before. Because, you know, the whole they love our culture, but they don't love like we we always Mm. felt the cultural thing. Mm -hmm. But this time I felt a shift in the way that they were interacting with Mm -hmm. us as black people, because we were at one point. I'm like, are we the only black folks moving through this? (laughs) And we would be in Portofino or or Positano or where these little places we would be or San Tropez. And we would see very we, we were really we were it. So, yeah. Uh, but it was it was fun because, um, especially with someone like I me. Mean, look, we had LL Magic and Sam. I mean, we had three iconic people in, to- in different fields, mm-hmm. um, Hall of Famers. We were with so
0: mm-hmm.
1: there was a point of connectivity for all of them. And um, it was just pretty dope. I mean, it's hard to yeah. put into words. It was pretty I, I
0: don't mind that that was the ambassadorship that is, you know, leading the way for us to to come behind and in, in future visits and and uh, have that trail have been blazed. You know, I'm curious, Holly. You know, a few of the pictures that I saw were kind of like Gordon Parks moments of you unsuspecting on a boat looking off and you know i'm i'm curious you know i know for me i i love to travel i feel the you know expansion of just going to places and getting on a plane and and visiting somewhere new but at the same time it's also very introspective right do you feel that way do you find that you kind of go deeper when you're away and you have a little distance from your your homeland your routine do you get introspective in those times?
1: Oh yeah, I mean we all. And then after the year we've all had, I just felt especially introspective. Just being able to be out there, clear my head, have a different perspective of life of every, all the little little stupid shit that bothers me. Like I don't even like. I'm t- let me let me reconfigure everything. Let me pivot. Let me reset. And that's what that was. I mean, an opportunity uh, to just. Have, clear my lens, you know, when your mm. glasses are dirty. Mm. And uh, that's like one of my little Virgo pet peeves. I don't know about you. I can't stand mm. somebody with some dirty glasses. <laughs> and I, I'm that one that will walk around with a little spray bottle the and, <laughs> yeah. and clean up somebody's smudgy glass. Look, give me those, give me those, give me Put that. glass car wash. <laughs> that's, what it, that's, that's what the analogy I would use. Mm. Like got that's a good metaphor. Yeah. Lenses, you know, like it was like cleaning lenses and looking out uh, and seeing clearly. And it was just clarity that, that I was able to get.
0: So, um, as you mentioned, you grew up, well, part of, I think you left Philly when you were 10. You grew up in the the Mount Airy section of Philly, which is a really historically very interesting part of uh, of Philadelphia. And uh, I mentioned that your dad was in the entertainment business, and so were you very young. You moved from Philadelphia to Malibu, as you mentioned, which had to have been culture shock. But for some reason, I think the Robinsons were better equipped than some to to handle that transition. But just give us a a little bit of taste. Now I saw you recently as I was, you know, YouTubing, and that's another story, but uh an interview you did with Johnny Carson on the Johnny Carson show and you talked about seeing him on PCH going to high school. So just give a little bit of a taste of Malibu what Malibu looked like back then to to you just arriving from from Philadelphia.
1: Well, first of all, thank God for Philly because first of all, my dad was horrified my mother was taking us to California, you know, their marriage was pretty much over and my dad had, you know, was, just just left Sesame Street and was doing some, you know, television writing and and some things. And so we were leaving Philadelphia in a just in a stressful situation. We were in a Volvo station wagon, headed across the country. My mom, my brother. She would not take. She was so gangster at that time, Brad. Like she was, she had her head down. Everyone was like that damn Dolores, and she ain't got nothing. She ain't gonna be nothing. Like what she? She was she, a school teacher
0: initially, right? A
1: school teacher. She was. She taught pregnant high. High school students uh, particularly and then she did some local like on-camera stuff in Philly on KYW the local affiliate in Philly and then when my dad's Sesame Street thing took off and the marriage kind of failed then it was like okay I gotta reinvent so it was Cleavon Little the legendary Cleavon Little from Blazing Saddles who was our family friend who said come stay at my house in Malibu I'm getting ready to go to Broadway you can stay here for six months to a year and get your footing so we all got in this car and drove to Malibu. I was kicking and screaming the whole time. She wouldn't bring our family dog. We had to leave. You know, when you're nine Malibu years old, Malibu
0: must have sounded like Mars.
1: Oh, Malibu <laughs> sounded like hell. It sounded like hell. I don't. I don't care. But there's a beach. I don't care. You are leaving my fam, my dog, and 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 so I negotiated to bring the hamster. So we bring the hamster, but Dolores won't let the hamster in any of the motels. Why Uh, they're not going, you could put a hamster in your pocket. So my hamster froze in the car in Ohio. Okay. I'm nine years old. Uh, This is so traumatic at this point. We get to Mojave desert. Finally. She says, I'm going to put the, I don't think the hamster's dead. Like I'm in denial. He's, He's frozen. Right. You know, teeth out, fingernails up the, the the hamster's dead I'm in denial, Dolores is just gangster Savage, just trying to get us a new life She drops the hamster in, in the Mojave Desert, she tells me, for a better life And so, the hamster Goes to the Mojave, I still to this day cannot Drive through the Mojave Desert, the trauma So we yeah. laugh about this hamster Because she's like, okay, you know what, you and that Damn hamster, I had to do what I had to do And you know, I had to be savage Because now look at this life that you have now You, you think you would have been on Jump Street? you think you would have been on you would have done none of this shit if it wasn't for me. you got to sacrifice that hamster. So we get to Malibu. We, we roll up at Cleavon's house. It's on the beach in Topanga. And as soon as we pull the blinds up on the on the beach house, there's a naked woman, like a Bo Derek type of naked woman on a horse. White woman, big boobs, you know, her hair braided, kind of like Bo Derek. And shoot, it might have been Bo Derek. I got to check the date on that. Matt Robinson saw that. I
0: was about to say Matt was Matt was right out the door.
1: <laughs> he was like, California, here we are. I and I'm, you know, I'm still moping about the hamster. He's like, man, screw your hamster. I'm gonna go out on the beach right quick. He learned how to surf. He learned how to, you know, Matt, he was so mm-hmm. gregarious. He was like, so we go to school, and I'm the only like one of maybe two black girls in Webster Elementary School. Nobody wanted nothing to do with me. They all wanted to touch my hair. Just the typical stuff. I was miserable. One girl called me a black witch like the second day of school, I was mortified. We come home from school. My mom goes, so how was school, you guys? And I'm like, someone called me a black witch. And then my and I, my hamster's dead. And we where's where's our dog? And I want to go back to Philly. So Matt, how was your day? Oh, man, I, I had a great day. And, and I got invited to go on a ski trip with my friend Chad McQueen. Oh, who's that? Oh, I guess his dad is Steve McQueen. Right. They basically adopted Matt. Steve, yeah. I thought, people thought Steve McQueen and Allie McGraw were Matt's Parents like, yo. So he just adapted. I was miserable. It took me a while. By the time I got to eighth grade, I finally, you know, gave in. But it was hard, Brad. It was hard, and 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 I just couldn't roll with it like Matt. But you know, he starts surfing, and
0: just that's, that's yeah. too funny. You know, I, I totally would have envisioned the Matt side of the story, but I would not have known how you were adapting. And that that's a very funny. Funny thing to hear. So, as I mentioned, you know, I started YouTubing, you know, and getting ready for this, and you know, watching some of your old Twenty One Jump Street stuff and some of the old interviews that you did. The Carson one, you were so charming, and you know, you just got in Twenty One Jump Street and you know, talked about seeing him in Malibu. Then I watched you on Arsenio and various Holly Rod events, and then in Vogue. And then I went down that in Vogue rabbit hole, and I had a crush on Cindy. I, I had to stop. <laughs> <At that point.
1: laughs> like okay. We've gone let's too stop. far now. <laughs> yeah, let's
0: stop here. <laughs> it was like started at noon, and by six o'clock in the evening, I figured it was time to you know call it a day. But what what stands out for you about getting Twenty One Jump Street, Holly, and and you know reaching like a different level of or, or level of fame and in Hollywood, and I would imagine things kind of shifted at that point.
1: I was graduating from Sarah Lawrence, and you mentioned earlier you were like I didn't know you saying that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a singer and everyone on college campus knew me as Holly the singer. No one thought, oh, you're going to go become an actress or TV actress. I wanted to sing. So, so that's what I would do. I would go down and sing in these nightclubs in New York um, and then take the train back up to Sarah Lawrence. And like, I was working like working singer-waitress type of thing, because I really wanted to get a record deal and do that. So when I graduated um, in my senior year, before my senior year, uh, before I graduated, I did a movie called Howard the Duck. Now, Howard the Duck is now making a comeback, right? It's a whole Marvel thing. But back then it was just a big giant George Lucas flop. Like it was a hundred million dollar movie. But in this movie, I played uh, a singer in a rock group, a girls group called Cherry Bomb. And ha- and in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm graduating from Sarah Lawrence and I'm going right into this this group and I'm going to be in this fictional group, but I really sing. And it was a whole thing. So I graduated and the movie flopped. And I was like, "Ooh, let me rethink this. I was going to go back to graduate school or go to graduate school at Columbia. I applied, was ready to get back in, um, wanted to get my master's. And my mom calls me. And now she's managing at this time, right? Um, and she's been managing for years before this. And so she's like, there's this part, new show, new network, whole new network called the Fox Network. And there's a bunch of shows they're launching. And there's this is a show about these young cops. Um, It shoots in Vancouver, huh? Where? I had no idea there was any civilization north of Seattle. I did not know anything about Canada. Um, But uh, yeah, so go out for it. And I went out for it. And, you know, after a long auditioning process got that part thinking i'm just going to do this to make money to pay for my demos they asked me to sing the theme song to 21 jump street so i did that that's kind of iconic did you read did you run into that in your youtubing oh i did you gotta learn something when we meet you after school Yes. Okay. <laughs> so that that was fun. And I was like, okay, so I got a record deal with Sylvia mm-hmm. Rome back in the day. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I ended up, that's how one of the ways I met En Vogue or became the unofficial fifth member of En Vogue. (laughs) Um, But anyway, 21 Jump Street was was amazing because first of all, Johnny Depp was the replacement of another actor who was on that, who shot a whole pilot. Then the network decided to replace this actor and brought Johnny in. So we were all looking at him like he was a new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. He had, had nothing then. He had really barely done anything. And so when it started to hit, it was just like pretty amazing. I was only in my early 20s. And the next thing you know, I'm on, you know, the, like you said, the Carson show, sitting across mm-hmm. at Johnny Carson, not some of the other cats that came after him. But this is Johnny Carson. OK, so that was a moment for me where I was like, you know, people say, what's well, the moment you think you made it? That was that moment for me because yeah. I was like. This is Johnny Carson. Yeah, and no. the irony of the story I was telling, seeing him when I was driving to school and seeing him next to me in his car, he wasn't paying no attention to me, but I would just smile at him and whatever, mm-hmm. um, and pretend I was drag racing Johnny Carson. <laughs> pretend, yeah. So these are these are moments like you tell the the the, the Philly girl who's crying over her hamster that you mm-hmm. know and. In eight years, nine years, you're going to be on the Johnny Carson show telling them a story about how you, you know, you you drag race them down to PCH. These are the things that you go, wow. Like, how did this really happen?
0: Kind of surreal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before before we move on to another subject, I just you know, I I often think about having spent, you know, 30 years plus years in L.A. That, you know, New York was very, you know, if, if anything ruled New York, it was the modeling industry and money. Right. It's like money, Wall Street. And L.A. kind of strikes me as status kind of rules, right? The perception of connections, the perception of closeness to whomever. Do you do you find that to be true, Holly? Or are you kind of existing in an altitude that's kind of above that? And you don't really sense that because you've been well known and your family's been well known for so long. Do you see it as clickish and status conscious that way or not so much?
1: Uh, absolutely. That would, be a, that would be absolutely correct. Very status conscious. And you, the 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 comparison to New York is, is so dead on, you know, especially back in the day and um, when my dad was living in New York and, and, and it was all about and, and can I just I, I don't know if you're going to mention it, but, you know, one of my favorite things when I think about you and how when I think about your dad, I just my dad lived above the cellar your dad's (laughs) restaurant for years right and that just going down underneath his building and getting his food and loving that restaurant was one of the highlights and one of his my dad everything about new york he loved and was one of the highlights of that but i would say yes for sure that there's still Mm -hmm. a status game going on out here who you know who your circles are, who you're hanging out with for sure. I mean, that, that is definitely for sure. And, and it's interesting because I never, you know, tried or, or made attempts to be in anybody's circles. My circles have just sort of evolved organically that my friends are just who they are, who they've evolved to be over the years. So mm-hmm. there's never been any major play, but I do see people jockeying for position a lot out here. And I do Do you think that that is part of the game? And I'm just thankful that I don't have to do that or that I don't need to do that or because of the way I was raised or because of the people that my mom introduced me to so early in my life or or the things my brother and I were able to do so early in life um, gave us got us in rooms that that we otherwise might not be in so Mm -hmm. we can kind of roll with anybody right we can just kind of be around anyone and and communicate with anybody and connect with anyone and i think that has been helpful but there is definitely a status game out here for sure i'm not as aware of it on a daily basis but when i think about it that's very
0: true yeah well, it's definitely one of the things that you know I've always admired about you and your family um you know that you guys certainly are and i and I view you as kind of a unit, but you know you definitely are thought of as you know well known folks and well connected but you are very inclusive you know people i think always have felt like um you're accessible and i and I can tell you as a as a pedestrian as a citizen, I appreciate the accessibility um so I opened the nightclub in 89 and got to know a few of your friends, Leela Rashawn, lovely Lila Rashawn, who talked about you quite a bit. And uh, Vivica Fox, you know, those folks used to, um, used to always mention, mention you a bit. And um, I know you've been asked this a lot of times. Where, where did How did you meet Rodney? You guys were set up, correct?
1: So Leela Rashawn introduced Rodney to me. And and we, it's so funny. We were just, we were just talking about this uh, over, over vacation. And we were like going around talking about how we all met and, 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 and some of the, some of the early days we went to, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking? Rodney. You uh, thank you. Rodney's like, R&B, R&B Live. Live.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I blanked for a minute, but I knew I had my, I knew between you and him, I would get that. We went to R&B Live. We were kind of set up. Rodney was bothering Lila. He wanted to meet me and he was very aggressive in pursuing me and Lila kind of facilitated that, made that happen. So we went to R&B Live. There was a singer performing. She wasn't quite on it that night and we were kind of like, you know, messing you know with each other about her. And you know, when you don't like a brother, when you don't like a guy you don't have to eat cute around them mm-hmm. right so when, when my french fries came I doused him with hot sauce and was like and I was killing him fries because you know I wouldn't worry about nothing in my teeth because I liked Rodney mm-hmm. but he oh, oh, the NFL ugh, you know like I it was not he was not really he wasn't someone I wanted to like I was like oh I'm gonna get him yeah. so that of course was he was you know how you guys are when when we don't like you that's when you really go after us so he was saw me eating them fries not caring and he was like I got to get I got to go I got to go after this girl and i went on a eat pray love trip to bali indonesia by myself very frustrated about my romantic experiences and you know I was in that I, I want a man I want a man like this who's my soulmate? you know who's my person I was in that space mm-hmm. and then when I came back well Rodney P was still there still knocking at my door and so that's when I decided to give him give him a shot and and that's it but Leela is the one we we when, when Rodney would get on my nerves or do something to piss me off I would call her up and cuss her out.
0: And <laughs> blame her.
1: Yeah, it's all your fault. All these kids are It's all your fault, Leela. But uh That's yeah, great. we That's we great. honor her. We just celebrated our twenty sixth anniversary. Yeah, and
0: congratulations.
1: And yeah. we thank you. And we, we we had a nice little small dinner and, and we, we mm-hmm. celebrated Leela for yeah. making that
0: connection. I mean, you guys together are, are just uh phenomenal. So um I just wanna talk a little bit about I guess the the segments on YouTube that I saw, Holly, that were that really, really just touched me. Um, I mean, just resonated with me were your moments with RJ. And this was from clips from the show that you guys did, of the uh, reality show. Mm-hmm. And two that stood out for me, you know, that my my very good friend, Adam Katz, who Rodney knows well, has a son with Asperger's, you know, you know, Adam as well. And I spent quite a bit of time with his son, Sammy, and, you know, witnessed up close some of the Hardships, You know, uh, play dates getting canceled and, you know, t- hard time making friends. And so one of these um, and I and I watched RJ and I listened to you and watched you and how calm you, li- you you listened so well to what he had to say. You were such a great listener. And then you spoke to him and he clung on every word of what you were saying. And it was like the Bible to him. You know, your response was what got him through that thing that he was going through in that in that moment. Um, He had made a comment. He was he was upset over some comments that he had read on social media, something that he had posted and and had seen. So I, I know you're tough. Rodney's a football player, competitor, hard guy. I mean, sweet smile. But underneath that, I mean, he's a he's a killer, you know, and I know how I feel. I want to go out and beat up the bad guy when somebody does anything bad to one of my friends. But you're maintaining this very calm exterior and you're giving RJ exactly what he needs. But I'm curious what's going on for you internally as you're processing this hurt that this child that you love so much is experiencing?
1: Oh, well, I you develop another gear, right? You develop another gear. It's not on your gear shift when you get in the car. So you have to carve that out. Like, what is that other gear you have to get into to advocate ferociously for your child? As moms and dads, we we, we advocate for our kids. We, we move mountains for them. We do everything for them. And we, we try to create their lives. Some of us snowplow things out of their way for them so they don't have to experience the hardships. I mean, we, we experience But when you have a son or a daughter who cannot properly communicate themselves or uh, has a special need and they become discriminated against, um, it is extra hard. Then when you factor in the intersectionality between autism and being a black boy or a black young man, You've got a whole nother slew of problems. So, what I had to do was like compartmentalize, carve out. You know, they say we don't use a lot of our brain. I had to figure out an area of my brain that was dedicated just to RJ. You know, how do I navigate life for him in a way that he can understand it, that he can advocate for himself, that he has a group around him, a fortress, a team around him that supports him? So, you know, I I don't really know. I think there's just an extra, like a gear. It's like an extra gear. And you actually like create that extra gear when you're a parent of a special needs kid, because you, you have to think for him and protect his heart and his soul and everything. So with RJ, some of these issues that I've seen him go through, whether it's like you were talking about with you know, with Adam's son, like not the playdates, the heartbreaking, not having friends and, you know, not having, you know, a girlfriend or not being able to, you know, navigate life in a certain way or letting people take advantage of you. These boys at junior high school took his money and then made him say vile things to girls that could have gotten him in major trouble. And he doesn't come home and tell me these things. Like he doesn't, a, want to articulate that to me and B, he he wanted these friends. So you have to just have eyes and ears in every place. And you were talking about how he was holding on to every word. I mean, this is a kid and or me listening to him so well, this is a kid that didn't have words. So every time this boy speaks, every single word is like a gift from God. So when I hear him talk, And there's sometimes, listen, now he comes home and he wants to talk balls and strikes. Mm -hmm. Dodgers, because he's their clubhouse attendant. So he knows everything about the Dodgers and everybody on the the team, their birthdays, you name it. And there's times when I'm just tired or doing everything. And I don't really, and I have to literally remind myself, I shift into that gear and go, this is a boy who wasn't talking and had had no ability to have meaningful conversation with you. A friend of mine is in... um, He's come so far, and I'm so blessed and so happy for him, and that's part of what fuels a lot of my um, Hollyrod Foundation work, is because I want, you know, to help these families navigate this journey. But a friend of mine is in Martha's Vineyard right now, and he he just called me. He was like, "Yeah, I'm out here in the oak bluffs and blah blah blah." And I was like, I got triggered, and I was like, Why am I triggered? And I remembered in oak bluffs in 2000 when RJ was just three years old. We rented a house there for the summer. We thought, you know, we're going to do a little bit, you know, the vineyard thing, you know, Inkwell, we're going to do all that whole thing. And then we rented that house. And then at one point he got away from the house. He ran away from me into traffic. And it was, there's these curves around Oak Bluffs that you can't see. the They're blind. You can't see any. And I was screaming his name. Rodney was behind me in a house screaming at me. I'm running to keep up with his little fast legs. He's smiling and laughing because he can't read the anger and or hear the fear and terror in my voice. And by the grace of God, by the time he got to that middle lane in that blind curve, there was no car there. I snatched him up, pulled him out, and... Just my first instinct was to pull down his pants and <laughs> beat his ass. That was my first instinct. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I'm, You know, that wasn't something that I'd ever done before. But I just wanted that moment to be crystallized in his mind. I didn't know how how else to do it. And I was triggered. I was like, wow. When I was talking to my friend, I was like, that Martha, Martha's Vineyard moment was so scary. I thought I was going to lose my son's mm-hmm. life and my life because of autism, because of the fact that he could not... Process my emotions in that moment. So when I see him now having the ability to look at my face when I give him that look, he goes, What? What?
0: He's reading something. Yeah. Are you mad? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Why? Why are you saying it like that, Mom? Like, mm-hmm. even hearing that, that's progress. Mm-hmm. And he's 23 and he still kind of has that little boyish kind of energy. But I have the ability to adapt and pivot to his whole experience. I don't know what my life would be without RJ and the struggle. That we've been through, and watching his journey, and then sharing it. I wanted to share it on the reality people. Oh, you're doing a reality show? That's terrible. You're writing going to get divorced. No, I wanted to do. I wanted to show a young man, a young black boy, how his family rallies around him and how we listen and talk to him because there's so much underrepresentation in of of autism in on TV in so many different mm-hmm. ways.
0: Yeah. And I know I don't that, you even know,
1: know if I answered your question, Brad. No, you
0: perfectly. No, Holly, absolutely perfectly. And, and the other thing that I wanted to just mention quickly is the uh, the meeting that I saw that you had had with uh, Kamala when she was a state senator and um, you know, the, the, the advocating for some additional identification on a driver's license for kids that might have might have autism or might have Parkinson's because of their inability to read social signals. And an officer may misread that and the danger that puts them in. Uh, unlike, you know, someone who who's doesn't have those those um, issues.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that meeting with Kamala that we were able to document was right before she she just won the Senate. And then she was then, of course, down the line, she was headed for the the, the White House. And so mm. every, a lot of that got put on hold. But that was a great You know, meeting because we want to get RJ's law in the books, which would identify to a cop if he pulls you over that you have autism or, and or Parkinson's. Because as I see my son driving, I mean, the panic and fear I have of him getting pulled over and what that will mean, it just scares me. And the, I want to do something, you know, in honor of him, not in memory of him. So I always think of that like as something that would be really helpful. And then it was, it was, then senator harris now vice vice president harris which is amazing that she mentioned the parkinson's piece because i'm not sure if you know that matt has parkinson's right so matt Yeah. yeah, yeah matt has been Matt, my brother matt has been diagnosed with parkinson's and he's had it for five or six years now and when he's driving parkinson's his symptoms can come off like he's drunk or he's not connected Mm-hmm. He's a black man in America. So mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that the R.J.'s law will get a little bit more traction soon. And so thank you so much for bringing it up, because I think that I think that it's it's something that could be really helpful for so many.
0: Yeah, well, definitely a worthwhile cause. to to support. So certainly whatever I can you do. You
1: really did go down a rabbit hole. You, you saw. everything.
0: <laughs> and, you know, with Matt, you know, I text I text with Matt, you know, and, and during uh, covid. I would tune into his um, DJ sets.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we
0: have a little running funny joke between us. He always plays Funky Nassau for me because of a little <laughs> funny thing, a little insider joke that we have. And, I love it. I yeah, love it. and then your mom and I have had our own unique relationship. She and I sat together at uh, Diane Carroll's birthday. Unfortunately, we lost Diane in 2019, but uh, your mom and I went to a dinner, a little intimate dinner party that Diane had at the Four Se- Seasons a few years ago, and your mom's running commentary at that dinner party, sitting next to me, was hilarious. She was just nonstop. You, you know, your mom can she can commentate with the best of them. So Ooh, th- that can, was that was a good can. Dolores. Dolores yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: she, Howard Cosell, Chris Collins. Words. <laughs> nobody got any anything. No, <laughs> Dolores can go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, she is, and I'm really trying to you know convince her to you know get. She has about seven books in her, Brad, and I'm I'm so frustrated because I feel like she should have, she should be on her third or fourth right now. Um, yeah. but I'm always encouraging her and um, to, to write a book because she's a pretty phenomenal lady.
0: Yeah, she really is. Your family is incredible. So, Holly, before I let you go, um, just tell folks where they can go to support you and Rodney and the great work that you guys do. Where can they find you on social media and uh, jump into support?
1: Well, I'm all over social media at Holly R. Pete, two E's in the middle, one E at the end. Um, and uh, you can go to Hollyrod.org org. And that is, you know, our nonprofit. We um, are really focusing on our rj's place initiative now so rj's place is a we we built it finally down and it's sort of in the glendale area but in, in la um and it's where we support families impacted by parkinson's and autism but we also have job training seminars there and our goal i mean our our goals right now with Hollyrod is to really help get these young people jobs I mean, now more than ever, so many corporations are really understanding the value of hiring inclusively. And R.J.'s, even R.J.'s experience at the Dodgers, I mean, every time I tell the or I post something on social media like, oh, to one of the players, thank you for doing so much for him or embracing him. They're like, you don't know what he does for us. Mm -hmm. He's in this clubhouse. He lifts us in a way Mm -hmm. that is intangible. So stop thanking us and let us thank you for your son. I mean, Uh, you can imagine how that feels to me as a mom with the journey we've been on. Mm -hmm. But we know that right now, so many organizations and corporations are hiring our young people with autism and they just need some training. They just need a chance. They need to be connected with the right people. They need proper management. But when you hire them, They're going to get the job done in a different way that you didn't think about, and they will increase your bottom line and make it a better place to work.
0: I hear you on that, Holly. So last last thing before I let you go and just all beautiful, really worthwhile stuff, your your story, your family story is just so touching, you know. We've touched on some of the glamour stuff and you live a really interesting life, a privileged life, I would say. But obviously, you know, you got a lot to balance. You're a mom and you've got, you know, a few kids and a husband and a wife and a you know, you 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 have challenges like the rest of us. So what do you do, Holly? Is it meditation? Is it prayer? Is it a combination of all those things? How do you how do you keep yourself lifted?
1: The balance for me comes in meditation. Even if I get in 10 minutes before I get out of the bed, setting my intentions for the day, just affirming that, you know, whatever I do today, there's going to be some positive, a positive element to it. Breathing. Breathing is very, very important. So yoga, meditation, every as much as I can, but meditation every morning is so helpful to me. Um, and doesn't mean when you get up and your day starts, things don't go wrong and the day doesn't get crazy. It just means that you've given yourself a moment to intentionally set your affirmations, set your intentions for the day. And then that just makes the, the, the day move cleaner for me. It just makes it move smoother. And then I'm breathing. It does. I don't get stressed as fast. But when you have, you know, so many people to look out for and to make sure everybody's good, if you're not right, none of it's going to be right. And so that self-care piece is something that I think that people have really, you know, you cannot, you cannot overstate how important that is. Um, like they sure.
0: tell you on the plane, put your mask on first, right before you before you yeah. go to help others. Yeah,
1: yeah, because you, I'm no good if I'm not right. I can't mm-hmm. help solve everybody else's problems if if I I don't have you know the the food, the emotional food and and energy to to push through my day. So um, and then you know just really blessed to have such a great team around me. Um, my family is just amazing. Do we have? We're not perfect. uh uh-uh. Uh people even see the reality show and go, Oh, you guys are so, no, we got our issues riding up. We got our issues, kids, we got issues, but I think the resolve to, re- to fix things internally and collectively, and 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 really create. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of football and team metaphors going on in this family. <laughs> um, but to really huddle up mm-hmm. and get a game plan and execute the game plan, and all of that, you know, um, somebody might throw you know, throw a flag on the play. Um, but in the end, I am, you know, I realize, you know, I am the quarterback of this team. No offense, Rodney Pete, but I am. And I got to make sure that, you know, my game plan is straight. So uh, just in case you didn't have enough football analogies in your day, <laughs> I've given you more than a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, yes, you did. And we're moving the
0: ball downfield. We're yes. one foot in front of the other. We're moving oh, the chains. we all, all that. that. <laughs> it's a
1: metaphor for life. It's yeah, man, it works. It and works. I, I have leaned all the way into it. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? It, yeah, of course, your quarterback's wife, you're going to do that. But I, I have leaned all the way in. And um, my kids know that about me. They know that, you know, I, we, your mom's a little bit crazy. She's a little bit all over the place. But uh, in the end, I'm going to listen. And let me just say, one thing because, you know, we talked about that extra gear that I had to go into in order to really just, you really focus on RJ. Sometimes in that process, the other kids get left out. And I say this because there may be people listening that either are a sibling of someone with special needs or, or know someone who is a sibling that has felt somehow a little cheated. And my daughter has been very, I'm trying to get her to blog because it's, it's unbelievably, fascinating her experience being the sibling of a twin with autism Mm -hmm. because she wasn't the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. And so she feels like she sacrificed and missed things, and maybe even maybe missed a few diagnoses of her own self in her life because it was RJ, 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 RJ. And so if you are a parent with a child who just got diagnosed and you're trying to figure out how to navigate your other children to find time for them, it doesn't have to be a big fabulous vacation. Just even it's movies, even go go to uh, go get your nails done. Just take your other the other sibling and give them that one on one time because looking in their eyes and listening to them is really important. And I think because When you get hit with a diagnosis like autism, I mean, I went into gangsta mama mode, right? Mm -hmm. And I did neglect Ryan in a lot of ways. Listen, the girl has had an amazing life. She's traveled to every continent in the world. She graduated from NYU. Life is good. But in the end, there were moments as a child where she felt some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always, when I'm counseling other parents who just get this diagnosis, just saying, if you have other kids, just find that one-on-one time with them. It's going to really, really mean a lot to them down the line.
0: Holly... Robinson, Pete. Thank you so much, Holly, for joining me. Please give Rodney a, a big pound and a hug from me and your brother, Matt, and give your mom a hug. It was so great seeing you and talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Thank, Thank you. you, Brett. I love you so much. I'm so glad that we have a chance to talk like this. I love your podcast. And, and um, you know, let's keep in touch. Sending sure. you big hugs to you and your family.
0: Thanks so much, Holly. Mm-hmm. So here we are with ambassador shabazz and our segment we call how we move holly robinson pete
2: you know she's absolutely dear to me i was very close to her dad we were all in new york and as she mentioned you know off air the relationship with stan lathan whom i already also knew and cleavon little who was my actual who was actually my cousin so the worlds were small Um, Her father, very powerful. And I got to listen to the father whose children had gone West, his uh, pride of his children, his love Mm -hmm. for his family. So my uh, my emotional attachment to his kids really having watched and listened to a father whose life was changing without them. Mm -hmm. And he just loved he bragged he dreamed for them. And so as when I moved to Los Angeles, I couldn't wait to share. Now, what's interesting is that their mom was the first black um, talent agent in um, Los Angeles. And her first primary client was LeVar Burton, who is the famed uh, Kunta Kinte. Mm
0: -hmm. And people
2: think of reading Rainbow or this back and forth. Now now the
0: host of Jeopardy!
2: hopes of Jeopardy, but he was an 18-year-old student at UCLA. And, you know, my godfather is the one at Road Roots, Alex Haley. So the world started to connect independently, yet um, the world was just so small, right? Mm -hmm. So I, of course, I'm in touch with her as often as I can. She's an amazing young lady, as is her brother. And I just recall the heartbeat of a dad who loved his children so much and wanted the best for them and they are everything he would have wanted
0: them, them to be really so powerful. Talk, talk about the, the funny connections. I had forgotten actually that her dad lived above the cellar. Yeah, right. I knew that my father knew their father, but I, I'd forgotten that specific connection. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a funny coincidence
2: that's exactly right and you know and then he moved out to los angeles and the interesting mm-hmm. thing with parkinson's both her father and muhammad ali kind of um discovered themselves in this path around the same time you know late 30s early 40s uh, fit in every other kind of way could not understand what this debilitation was very slow introduction and knowing both men very well fondly Uh, powerfully, their inner spirits, and the fortitude. So, you know, when you think about mind over matter and how long they got to live with a condition that people at first did not know how to handle, notwithstanding the debilitation, the spirit and the mindset and the will to put one foot in front of the other. And so even with that, there's an organization called Girl Trek. Have you heard of it? No. Girl Trek, so it was established two young college students um, in Los Angeles, two sisters in 1996, found themselves combining Tupac, Nikki Giovanni, uh, and self-care. How do you do it? How do you merge it? I mean, we think we're talking about it now, 25 years later, but this kind of re- recurrence of of how we fit in the world the same way Holly Robinson-Pete stated that she has to start her day with meditation and, um, and focus in order to restart. I think people find them way, their ways of doing that. So girltrek.org, I want people to go online. They have now combined all of that so-called turning. Imagine they're grown women now, but a deeper call to action. They tied it into a movement. Of engagement and a radical self care. And they support rallies and causes. And so it brings a fellowship of people walking together, but they are going to do those miles. And they had something called We Are Harriet in the National Mall and Reclaiming Our Streets and the like. And they're in 51 cities across the US. And there's a page, if you go to Girl Trek and you go onto the area that says walk and you um, scroll down to um, 100 Radical Acts of Self-Care, and it breaks down ways in which you can consider that, whether it's the, the sweat equity, the sanity, the soul, and the joy. What, what on this list that they've pre-authored um, it, it matches yours, your, your kind of equilibrium to wellness and you're taking charge of wellness. And what do you add to that? So very exciting. I'm looking forward to adding their chapters in other places. And we're about to go international. We we talked about how to bring that kind of force of camaraderie and uh, footsteps, one foot in front of the other. Into other nations, other villages, other towns. All um, right. so, yeah. so that's
0: Girl Trek T R E K
2: T R E K dot org
0: dot org. Girl dot
2: org, and just scroll .org. down, and you get to see all of the things that they've done, and the chapters. There may be a chapter in your space, in your um, town, and/or you can start one.
0: Well, all right. A little extra tip on self-care. From ambassador shabazz and uh thank you for those remembrances and your dad and uh oh, matthew robinson that's a love him. touching relationship i know so thank you and muhammad ali and muhammad ali Yep,
2: and the list goes on you know that's the thing that's what's really important um and these young ladies with girl trek as well and what uh, holly robinson and her dear husband have forged ahead Um, not stopping just as Hollywood um, royalty, so to speak, or a power couple, but impacting um, real issues and amendments on behalf of the wellness of of certain populations. Very important.
0: Yeah, no question. Ambassador Shabazz, how we move. That's how we move. Thank you so much. All righty. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson, produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a Mean Old Lion Media production.